0: So, here's a tough theological question for you this morning. Have you ever done something foolish? Yeah, you guys are, I'm telling you, you guys are a lot more honest in the first service. Don't tell them I said that, but you are. Y'all are like, yeah, I have. So, a while back, I was getting ready for Sunday service, and I, you know, coming to preaches early in the morning, I saw my collar, So that's not as crisp as I'd like it. So I pulled out the iron, I looked at my neck, I meant my, my shirt, and I said, well, I don't, I don't want to take my shirt off. That's just, that's just too much work. I can handle this without taking, like, it's just a couple of touch of spots. So needless to say, I ironed my neck, by the way. I had this huge burn on my neck. Is that foolish? Yeah, like, I knew I should have done something different, but I didn't. I just went ahead and went for it. Uh, the most foolish thing I've ever done, well, that I'm going to actually tell you about was with my friend David. Uh, him and I decided we decided we were going to be fishermen. So we went, we had no idea what we were doing, by the way, you'll, you'll, you're about to find out. We went and bought all the fishing material we needed, the fishing poles, fish stuff, and we went to the local reservoir. And we said, hey, we're going to rent a boat, a boat, which neither one of us know anything about this stuff. And so we went ahead and rented the boat. We went down to the dock where they had all the John boats lined up and they were flipped over and we looked and we looked and we said, well, we'll just use this one. I said, hey, Dave, there's a hole in the bottom of the boat. Like, you know, looks like it should be plugged up. He's like, well, I mean, it wouldn't be there if it wasn't supposed to be there. And I was like, man, that logically just makes sense. There wouldn't be a hole if there wasn't supposed to be a hole. And so we turned the boat over and we looked, all of them were like that. We said, hey, we'll just go for it. So we... Put the boat in the water and started loading up. The next thing you know, we, we start, sit, well, we had a little trouble. We go out and water's coming in. I said, man, this isn't right. He said, well, maybe, I, I laugh every time. He said, well, maybe the, the bottom of the boat's just supposed to fill with water. It's like a buoyancy thing. Like there's just supposed to be like a coat of water. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not how it's supposed to work. Needless to say, we just continue to go out and it gets deeper and deeper. So we're throwing our drinks out, trying to get the water out. We get stuck. A guy luckily comes by, throws us an anchor, and pulls us in. We found that little hole is to drain out the water after it fills up from a storm, and you should plug it back up. We know now what we didn't know then. Kind of foolish, right? Hole, boat, taking it on the water. Probably shouldn't do those things. So here's the thing about foolish things. I mean, while they are foolish, you can move past them, right? They're not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not really like life altering. It's just something that maybe a little bit embarrassed about, but makes a funny story to tell your friends. They're, they're not that big of a deal. Are you with me? Yeah? Well, good, because here's, here's what I'm asking you to do today. This is one of those challenging sermons, my favorite by far, probably not yours, but is by far my favorite. I want you this week to do something foolish for Jesus Christ. That's do something foolish for Jesus Christ. And and notice, foolish is in quotation marks. I don't want you to iron your neck. I don't want you to almost sink a boat in the river. But I want you to do something risk-taking for Jesus Christ. I want you to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. I want you to do something that makes you nervous. I want you to do something that people around you would consider foolish. I want to show you this week. But I want to show you two stories. It's in the book of Daniel. If you're familiar with the book of Daniel, you know these stories. If not, I'm glad you're here this morning. But both of these stories could easily be interpreted, how these people live, they could easily be interpreted by everybody around them as just simply foolish. Here's a little background. The nation of Israel has been taken into exile. The northern tribes are gone. That's 10 tribes of Israel disappeared. We never hear from them again. Southern tribes... Be- The southern tribes, Judah, is taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They're they're there living under King who? You guys know more in the first service too. Don't tell them I said that. Okay. So they were taken from their homeland. Now they're under uh, the Babylonian rule, under King Nebuchadnezzar, living with him. And after he would capture land, right, they would go and just conquer all these places, he would take some of the best and brightest people from their homeland, bring them into his service. And his idea is, if I get the best and brightest from all these different nations, I teach them our language, our culture, I will have a council full of wise people. And so he'd go conquer land and take their best and brightest The four of them we're going to learn about are Daniel. Who are the other three? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're like, I've heard of them. I know. They're pretty famous, aren't they? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's Daniel 1.5. We're going to jump right in. It says this. It says, The king assigned them, that's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And again, here's what's going on like we just talked about. Their nation's been conquered. They're the best and the brightest who get picked. Their entire nation has been wiped out. And now they're getting a job. Now they have a job with good benefits, good insurance, a 401k where they match, right? Everything they could have asked for, they have kind of a dream opportunity with a free education. Everything's been wiped out, but now they have this amazing opportunity where they're trained. And the king picked out Their food. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Israel had strict dietary laws, and the food was most likely... Oh, excuse me. I apologize. Let me come back. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself this way with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And so here's what's going on. Israel had strict dietary laws, just like you know, and this food was most likely offered to idols. And so they're here to be trained in the service of the king, kind of like a study and residency type of thing. King picked out their food, and Daniel looks and says, I'm not eating it. I'm not doing it. Now, to everyone else around Daniel, this would have seemed foolish. I mean, the king personally picked this. All your protection's gone, where you used to live is gone. You're risking your job, your salary, your benefits, your insurance. You're risking all those creature comforts over food. I mean, you're going to insult the king and tell the king the food he personally picked out isn't good enough? Verse 9 says, Now God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. And so the caretakers, look, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't play around. He's picked you. We've invested in you. And if you look worse than anybody else because you're not eating the food, he will kill me. I mean, he will just kill me if you're not healthy enough. And now think about it, it's it's these men, not everybody there, not everyone at the service is saying, all right, we're not going to do this. And you can just hear the people looking at these Israelites going, hold on, didn't they just wipe your country out? I mean, why are you fighting with this? Why risk your life over food? Everyone else is doing it. Why not you too? I I mean, are you really going to stand up and cause problems over food? Just don't worry about it. This could affect your career this could affect your promotion why are you making big fuss over this and you could hear him say what happens in babylon stays in babylon like don't worry about it guys but look instead of worrying about their careers their social status all this advancement they could have they stay faithful to god and daniel says look just give us 10 days that food that you think is going to make us healthier, we're going to go ahead and follow God. We're not going to eat this. Watch what happens in 10 days. Watch what we look like in 10 days. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he just trusted God. Here's the idea. If I stay faithful to God, he's going to come out and bless me. So we stayed faithful to God. And it says this, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So it worked. They stayed faithful to God came out better than everyone else at the end. And look at verse 17, it says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now here's the thing, we know about Daniel, we know about these people because of this event. They didn't have all these gifts before this. It was this thing, this being faithful to God, that then they were blessed with the knowledge and understanding and the different ways of interpreting and it tells us, the story continues to tell us that they become wiser than anyone else in the kingdom. And here's what I want you to see. Instead of worrying about their career advancement and social status, they worried about God and God elevated them to a higher career and a higher social status than they could have ever got on their own. But if we were to be honest, how often does our faith take the back seat to our careers? How often does our faith take the back seat to our social status? Well, I mean, I don't, I want to fit in. I mean, everybody else, I mean, I can't not do it. I mean, instead of trying to make something of themselves, they stayed faithful to God, and God made much of them, far more than they could have ever done on their own. You see, Daniel ends up being promoted to the top official. The other three become the top administrators, and I wonder How many of us have missed out on great blessings from God because of our unfaithfulness? Because we were too scared to take a risk for him. But they're in the top positions. They're the high, high people of the land. And so things are looking good, and Nebuchadnezzar decides to make a huge statue of gold. I'm sure you've heard of this. It was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. It's a couple tons of gold, yes? huge statue of gold, and he made a decree that anytime you hear this certain music, you have to bow down and worship the idol. And if you don't do it, you get thrown into a blazing furnace. There's some pretty crazy things in the Bible, isn't there? You thought you had it bad today? No. Bow down and worship or fire. Those were the only two options. And, of course, this goes completely against Israel's faith, and they know this. Remember, the reason why they're in captivity, because they were worshiping other gods. Because they were worshiping other gods, God said, you're not going to stay here. His hand of protection goes off. They go into exile. Now they're in exile, and the king's saying, you have to worship other gods. These gods are saying, no, we're not going to do it. We know what happens when we worship other gods. We know what that looks like. We're not going to do it. So the music started playing, everybody bowed down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they're not just people, they're top officials. They're working for the government. They're like, yeah, we're not doing it. So they stand up. And wouldn't you know, people around them go back and tell the king, hey, they're not bowing down. And here we are again, we have somebody acting, people acting foolish. Why not just bow down and repent later? Everybody else is doing it. They, their heads are going to be down, they won't even see you do it. You can just pretend you didn't do it. No one will know. They said, we're not doing it. We're not bound down to these idols. So the king finds out and is furious. Calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I absolutely love their response. Look at this. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. He calls them in. You're not bound down. He's like, look, we're not going to talk about it. You don't need to waste your time. We're not going to waste our time. There's no negotiating meeting halfway. We're not bound down. Our minds are made up. They say, we we don't need to talk anymore. But he goes on. I love this. If we're thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. He's saying, look, if you throw us in there, God's going to save us. You know what, king? He's going to deliver us from you, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up, and we're willing to die. Now, he's not saying this from the comfort of his house. He's not saying this at church. He's looking at the most powerful person in their land saying, look, we don't need to talk about it. Here's the options. You can throw us in a furnace And if you do, God can save us. In fact, God will save us. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. So go for it. That's what faith is. God can. God will. But even if he doesn't, it's not a contradiction because faith means we don't know. All faith involves risk. And did you know something? If you didn't know it, I'm so glad you are here today. Do you know all Christians are to live by what? By knowledge? By faith. And faith always involves risk. Because faith is the unknown. How many of us are living on faith for Jesus Christ? How many of us are actually risking anything for Jesus Christ? How many of us are willing to take a risk for Jesus Christ? And as you can imagine, and I think you would agree, all the other people listening to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would say, okay, now this is foolish, this is too far. I got the food, but come on, a furnace? But they don't. And as you know, the king ends up heating the furnace up to ten times hotter than it ever was. The people who are carrying them in to throw them in, they end up burning up and dying. They throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. Well, and it says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar leapt, excuse me, leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, "'Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire?' They replied, "'Certainly your majesty.'" He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Who who do you think that is? Jesus. right, 85% of the time, it's Jesus is the answer in church. We see some foreshadowing going on here. We see this figure showing up again. And as you know, they were brought out of the furnace, clothes intact, not harmed, didn't even smell like Fire. And this pagan king ends up declaring that anyone who says anything about the God of these men will be cut up into pieces. Yes, King Nebuchadnezzar was very violent, yet you are correct. Anybody says anything bad, he's taken them out. And then verse 30 says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the providence of Babylon. Again, I want you to see this because it's amazing. Instead of looking out for their own interest, God ends up promoting them once again. So many of us have it backwards, and if you're a workaholic, I need you to hear this. You putting God on the back burner to get ahead will not work You may go pretty far because I'm sure you're smart and intelligent. You got everything going on. But according to scripture, you put God first. He will take you further and faster than you can ever go on your own. So just think what would happen if you actually put Him first. Imagine what He could actually do with you. Probably be pretty amazing because I'm telling you, if He can use me, (laughs) I can't imagine what He could do with you. Put Him first. And of course, we don't have time to look at it today, but you know Daniel and the Lions did That's a crazy story on its own. And these people did crazy things for the Lord. Everybody else would have thought they were foolish and silly, but they didn't. They stood up for their faith, even when other people around them didn't. You see, here's the deal. What everybody, excuse me, what other people consider foolish, we call faith. What other people consider foolish, we call faith. Faith looks foolish to those who don't believe. And you just got to know that. You just got to understand that. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. You see, that means living by faith means taking risk, risk how we would think about them. We're not going to have all the answers. We're not going to be 100% sure. Living by faith means we are willing to take risks. Not risk like, hey, with his boat not sink. Risk saying, this is where the Lord is leading me. This is what the Lord has said to do. So I'm going to step out and do it and see what happens. I took this from somebody else, but I love it. How It says, we are called to be faith-filled risk-takers for Jesus Christ. And this is every single one of us. Not just the pastors, not just the staff. Every single Christian is called to be a faith filled risk taker for Jesus Christ. And that means we're going to have to do things that other people just don't understand. We're going to have to do things that may seem foolish, that may go against conventional wisdom. And we have to let our lives be a testimony for our great God. That's what we see all these men in the store do. They end up promoting God. I mean, God ends up, God promotes them, so they're at a, a place of influence to then make God's name known greater. See, the promotions aren't about you. The promotions are about him. And then they have the leadership and ability to then influence other towards him. You see, for me, I mean, it doesn't always have to involve a lion's den or a furnace, things like that, just to let you know. For me, I remember when I was 20 years old, stepping out, saying that God's called me into full-time ministry. If you haven't heard my story before, I graduated high school with a 1.5 GPA. All right, so college was not in my future at all. I was in electrical school. I just finished my second year of electrical school, and I just knew that the Lord had called me to this. Now, you have to know, I've only seen small country churches, never seen big churches before this. And so... I went to one of the pastors and, and told them, or excuse me, went to our church and said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to community college, quit my electrical career, and, and go back to college, move back in with my mom. That's not fun for anybody, is it? But it's what I had to do, right? Move back in with mom, going to community college, just where I'm at. And one of the pastors at church said, that's silly. He said, he said don't, don't do that. There's no money in it. There's no security in it. Go be an electrician and just like teach Sunday school. Or do it when you're older. I'm not joking. So this is the advice, not the senior pastor. This is the advice I'm getting from another person who's been a pastor, so I've said, no, run. I thought only listen to him. Now I'm playing that back. No, I'm just kidding. But he said, Don't do it. Don't do this. And I said, Well, seemed foolish to him. I did it anyways. Quit my job, moved back in with my mom, and went to community college. When I was almost done with school, I went to our local director of missions. It's a D.O.M. It's a, it's a Baptist thing, and I went to him and said, "Hey, listen, I'm I'm graduating school soon, and just seeing if there's any positions, uh, pastor jobs available. I believe, you know, I'm almost done. Here's where I'm at. What do you have for me?" He said, "No, no, no, no. no. Said you you can't do that. You're too young." here's what you need to do, Brian. He said, first you need to go volunteer for be a youth pastor, unpaid position. I was like, okay. Then you need to you know, work yourself up to part-time. And then after you get the part-time position, then you need to become the full-time youth pastor. And then after you become the full-time youth pastor, then maybe you can get an associate pastor job. Then after you get the associate pastor job, then maybe you can actually be the lead pastor. Now, here, here's the problem with this. I'm going to another pastor telling him that this is what the Lord has called me to do And he's telling me I'm wrong. And that's not the correct step. Six months later, I started my first job as a senior pastor. What I thought was really amusing is they called him and he actually spoke at that service. And he publicly admitted uh, that he was wrong and that he gave me terrible advice, which is a really big thing for a pastor to do, by the way. But what he thought was foolish, and I say this to say that even pastors get it wrong. Even people you look to for health can get it wrong. What we want to stay faithful to is our Lord and Savior. And you see, I wasn't anyone special, I promise you. I was just doing what the Lord had asked me to do. Was I 100% positive it was going to work out? No, and everybody's telling me it's not going to work out. It's not very comforting. Did I have any clue? I had no idea. Did I doubt? Absolutely. But that's what faith is. It's by not being sure, by doubting, by going, man. if, if God doesn't come through, this is going to be a mess. If God doesn't show up, <laughs> I'm in trouble. And I'm not challenging you to do silly things. I'm challenging you to do faith-filled things because there are far too many Christians who miss out on a life of faith, who miss out on really doing incredible things for the Lord. You see, faith-filled risk-takers, first they keep God first. It's not just a bumper sticker, it's not just about going to church, it's saying God is number one in life, in everything in my life, which is a hard statement for all of us, like it's something we all continually work towards. It's not a blanket thing like God's first and I've settled that. It's a constant fight to keep God first. But they keep God first. They're not concerned with what everyone else thinks. They're not concerned about what their parents think or what their Friends think or family going, no, I hear you, but this is where God is leading me. This is the direction he's asked me to go, which means they spend time in his word and with him in prayer. Think about the stories we heard. They didn't just fast from food because they were like, you know what, I'm going to test the king today. They didn't not bow down on an idol just wondering what a fire felt like. They were doing these things because they knew this is what it looked like to be faithful to God. And for us to know what it looks like to be faithful to God, we have the scriptures where we can learn and pray. We can read and see what the teachings of Jesus are. We can see what the teachings of the apostles were. And we can learn what it looks like to be faithful. They were taking risk based on faith. Some of us, the reason why we've never reconciled that relationship, because we didn't put ourselves out there and risk asking for forgiveness. There's all sorts of risks. Fear will stop us from doing incredible things for the Lord, like reconciling a friendship or a marriage or whatever. It's faith. Fear will stop us. And the last thing, it's uh, faith-filled people. Hang out with other people who are faith-filled. Can we just be honest for a minute? Some of you need new friends. The friends you are hanging out with are not leading you and helping you grow as a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And I promise you it is much easier to grow in your faith when you have another group of people who are trying to grow in their faith. When you hang out with other Christians, we're like, yeah, let's do this thing together. We don't know what it looks like. We're going to figure it out. I mean, that's why small groups in Sunday school are so important because you get to share your struggles, and I hope you do in your classes, going, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what's so hard. What do you guys think? How have you handled this? And here's the deal, we all need people who we're witnessing to. I have plenty of non-Christian friends, people that I hang out with, that I talk with, that I try to share the love of Christ with, but here's the deal. I would not ask them for advice for my marriage. I would not ask them what I should do in these areas of my life that I know God has spoken to. While I can be friends with them, I want to influence them towards the love of Jesus Christ. I don't want them to influence me though away from Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And some of us need other faith-filled friends who are willing to take risk with us, who are willing to step out on faith with us, faith with us and be bold. You see, stay faithful to God and let him take care of the rest. Let him handle the consequences. Because God is willing and God is able. And what I want to encourage you today is to start living by faith, to take risk for the Lord. Do something that other people who don't know him would be consider foolish. Because so many of us, and I don't want this for you, and I don't want you to be convicted. I'm not here to do that. If that's what the Lord's doing, that's him. I'm just here to challenge you today. Because I don't want you to miss out on a life of faith. I've seen what both look like. I've seen what it looks like just sitting on Sunday mornings coming, and I've seen what it looks like to step out on faith. I promise you, you want to live by faith. There's a story in the scriptures that Jesus' disciples were trying to put everything into practice that he had taught them. They were going around trying to heal, and this one little boy they tried to heal, they couldn't do it. They failed. So the father did what any father would do. Well, the heck with you guys, I'm going to the other person, right? This doctor didn't work, I'm going to go to the next doctor, right? The disciples failed, so they took the boy to Jesus. Jesus spoke the words, he was healed. Disciples asked, of course, I'm sure when they went away, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Do you remember his answer? Matthew 17, 20, he replied, because you have so little faith. Now think about this in context, okay? He is saying this to the people who have left everything to follow him. They've left their homes, they've left their jobs. Check this out they are walking around actually trying to heal people. How many of you have done that? Okay, yeah, that's my point. Like, these guys are walking around town, like, trying to heal. I would call that amazing faith. Jesus says, what little faith you have. And I don't know exactly why, but that makes me wonder, And perhaps it makes you wonder, what would Jesus say about my faith? What would he say about your faith? We are called to be faith filled risk takers for Jesus Christ. And next time you're scared, next time you're nervous, just like I will be, I have a family, I have little kids. My wife says so. I get scared all the time. You don't know. But next time, you want to play it safe instead of take a risk. Next time you know he's calling you, you know he's asking you, this is what it looks like to be faithful. Here's what I want you to do next. I want you to picture Jesus standing in front of you, looking in your eyes, asking you. This is going to be the King James Version. I love it. O ye of little faith, why are you playing it safe? O ye of little faith, why are you playing it safe? Because when you put God first and you follow His word, you can step out and hold witness for Him and let Him take care of the rest. And so this week, that's it. I just want to encourage you to take that step of faith. I don't know what that is for you, but whatever it is, I just want you to step out. Maybe it's being baptized, maybe you've never actually taken that step. Maybe it's marriage, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your relationship, your finances. I don't know, but whatever it is, that thing that you know he wants you to do, the thing he's been asking you to do, the thing you're afraid to do, today I want you to be like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to take that one step this week and see what happens. For those of you who say, you know, I can't think of anything, Brian, like, I'm good. I don't, nothing comes to mind that the Lord wants me to do. I have you covered too. Aren't you glad? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to share your faith this week. You're like, never mind. The Lord just spoke to me. He told me what I was supposed to do. It was to cook dinner. Share your faith or invite someone out to church this week. And I know this makes some of us nervous, probably most of us, but that's the point. To step out and be uncomfortable for Jesus Christ this week. And you may say, well, Brian, I don't know enough. That's okay. Either do I. You say, well,. What if they say, no, I'm saying that's all you're risking. You're not risking a furnace. You're not risking a lion's den. You're just simply risking someone saying, no. I mean, aren't we blessed that we live in a country like that? We could take bold risks for Jesus Christ. Just tell them, All that God has done in your life, how God has moved in your life, that's all you got to do to share your faith. You say, here is what Jesus has done in my life. And if Jesus has not done anything in your life, I'd love to talk to you more about him after the service because I'm afraid you don't know him. Here's some statistics that I got from a church consultant. Now, I know we all can, we're all wary of statistics. I get it, me too. But even if these are remotely true, they should be alarming. It says this. 90% of active church members will never share their faith. 90% of active church people who come to church regularly will not share their faith. And listen to this, only 21% of active church members will invite anyone to church over the course of a year. So 21% of those who are willing, excuse me, 21% will invite somebody to church. You follow me so far? So if we have 100 people in here, only 21 will invite one person to church that year. But out of the 21% who invite, only 2% of the people they invite, only 2% of the people they will invite are actually unchurched people. Here's what I want you to see. Only 21% of the people in our church will actually invite someone out. 90% won't share their faith, so they're like, well, we're not even gonna break that statistic down. 21% will share their faith, but the people we are inviting of the people we're inviting to our churches already go to church. They just go to a different church. And while there's nothing wrong inviting people to the church, if they have a church, they can stay at their church. We want to fill this place up with people who don't know Jesus Christ. Only 2%. And we'd love to baptize them right there. Now, if people come to the church, that's great. I'd love people coming to our church. My point is, is we don't need to be busy inviting people who already go to church. We need to be busy inviting people who don't know Jesus Christ. Would you agree? And I know it's nervous. I know it's scary. But if you've ever participated in somebody receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is life-changing and there's nothing better in the world knowing that that day, at that time, they are now going to be with Jesus in eternal glory. But you actually have to believe the gospel. You have to believe it's true. And so we can get uncomfortable about that. And when that person gets baptized, or ever it happens, when you get to see them grow in their faith, you can personally know that I played a part. Not that you're special, but the Lord actually used you. Because that's amazing when you're like, the Lord actually used me. Like, I, can't, I go home every Sunday like, I can't believe I preach. How, why does he use me? I, me? I can't believe he uses me. But he'll use all of us. I mean, what if the person who told you about the Lord, what if they didn't do it? And I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to be a faith-filled risk-taker. Step out there. I want you to take a challenge. And here's the secret. Once you step out on faith and you follow the Lord, you'll realize it's not a risk at all. It's a lot riskier not to trust and follow the Lord. It's not a risk when you're trusting in the sovereign God. It's just called faith. Imagine what your life could look like if you took risks for Jesus Christ. Imagine how exciting it could be. Imagine if our church took risks for Jesus Christ. Imagine what we could do together in Conway and beyond. And listen, I'm just starting here, so I haven't really challenged our church yet. You're like, you haven't? No, just give me about two years. It's going to get rough, okay? But listen, what I promise you is I will will challenge our church to be faith-filled risk-takers for Jesus Christ because I believe the gospel is important I believe you believe the gospel is important and I believe we have an obligation to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ Imagine if First Baptist Church was known for being risk-takers For stepping out there going, hey, if God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. But he can and he will. And even if not, we're going to do it anyways because this is what he's asked us to do. And so this week, and as we're thinking about church and what a faith-filled risk-taker looks like, this week when you get nervous and you get scared, I want you to picture something. I want you to picture Jesus in front of you asking you, oh ye of little faith. Next time you're scared and you can't help but see him and then you glance over and you see the cross on his shoulder. But I want you to fast forward and hear him say, this is gonna be like a weird image, but do it anyways. Jesus, oh ye playing it safe with him carrying the cross and then I want you to fast forward of him coming out of the grave, resurrected saying, why are you playing it safe? said, I want you to remember, he defeated death. He rose from the grave. Our Savior is powerful. Imagine if we tapped into that. Ephesians tells us we have the same power living inside of us that rose Jesus Christ from the grave. We'll go through that book one day, and when we do, it's going to blow your mind, what Paul says. So, O oh, ye of little faith. Why? Are you playing it safe? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, come to the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just thank you that you use us, us men and women, for your glory. Father, you've told many people what you want them to do. Maybe it's reconcile a relationship, maybe it's take a chance, or whatever that is they know, Lord, I pray for the boldness of your spirit. I pray they will be bold and they will take this as a sign from you. This is what they're supposed to do. But maybe for some, they need to step out on faith and they need to be bold. Maybe they need to come up front today and finally give you their life. Maybe they were too scared of what everybody would think around them. I don't know, but Lord, I just pray that you give them boldness as well. Father, we do ask that all of us are boldly sharing our faith this week. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.